Our scripture lesson is written this morning as Psalm 4, and you can refer to it there in your bulletin. Answer me when I call, O God, defender of my cause. You set me free when I am hard-pressed. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. You mortals, how long will you dishonor my glory? How long will you worship dumb idols and run after false gods? Know that the Lord does wonders for the faithful. When I call upon the Lord, he will hear me. Tremble then and do not sin. Speak to your heart in silence upon your bed. Offer the appointed sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Many are saying, Oh, that we might see better times. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when grain and wine and oil increase. I lie down in peace. At once I fall asleep. For only you, Lord, make me dwell in safety. May the Lord bless this reading from his holy word this morning. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. I want you to do something because we're always mindful here at Piedmont Church of our community here and our community online. So do me a favor. I know this is weird, but I want everybody to turn around and wave to the cameras back there. Do it right now. You're waving to all the people at Piedmont Church who are at home and they're waving back. Thank you. I know this for a fact because I actually heard that this week. She said, I love it when I see everybody there. So there we are waving. Thank you to the community here and the community in the cloud as well. So uh, we have been uh, preaching this summer on the Psalms. And uh, uh, each of the clergy have picked a different Psalm for each Sunday and sort of uh, expanded on it and, and talked about it. The, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, it's 150 of them. They're in the Bible. Sometimes people call it the Psalter. Either way, it starts with a P. Um, it's a very interesting part of the Bible because there's no real figure in it talking. There's no like Isaiah or certainly not Jesus or anything like that. Um, and a, a lot of times people are unclear when you come up to it exactly what is this weird book. And what this weird book is, as far as scholars know, is that it's probably the same as the, the hymn book. Uh, that's out there in front of you, the blue hymnal that's around. Everybody take a second now, and let's pray for wherever that siren is going. Wherever it's going, may those needs be met, and may those people know our presence behind them. Amen. So the Psalms are probably like a hymnal. And we know this because some of the directions in the Psalms, like if you turn to Psalm, I think, 27, it'll say, to the choir master, sung to the tune for the lilies. I don't know what the for the lilies tune is, but somebody in the ancient temple must have, and the choir director, poor benighted soul that he was, probably set it to music and everybody sang along to it. So that's what the, the Psalter or the book of Psalms is. And the reason it's interesting to us, because we don't really sing those anymore, although a lot of church music is set to those Psalms, is that the Psalms provide us with opportunities to see how human beings interact with the divine. They're intensely personal. So some of the Psalms are Psalms of victory. Some of the Psalms are songs of battle and even darker 
emotions, wishing the worst for your enemy. Stuff that can be jarring when you read it in the Bible. Think, oh, I didn't think we said that kind of thing. Some of them can be psalms of, of penitence. I'm so sorry. Some of them are psalms of what an incredible creation I live in. And then some of them, like the one we're looking at today, I think are psalms that are teaching us something. And sometimes it's a little bit in the background what's being taught. So I think Psalm 4, for me, what it's really teaching is it's talking about prayer, but it's also pushing the definition of prayer a little bit. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about prayer, and then I want to go just briefly through sections of the psalm and, and see what we can tease out and see what we can learn. So there's lots of different kinds of prayers. Um, I, there are prayers that are childlike and, and, you know, almost inconsequential. I said one the other day, oh, Lord, I hope I get a parking spot going into the Safeway. That's a prayer, <laughs> officially. It worked, by the way. I got one. Um, the, a few years back, there was a book, and you may have heard it from various pulpits because it was flogged for a while. It was Children's Letters to God. Anybody remember hearing about that? For a while, ministers were always preaching on those. And I guess what they did is they got third graders and had them write letters to God. And, and some of them are pretty funny. And I, I looked back in some of those, and th these are examples of childlike, innocent uh, prayers that are sort of revealing about the human psyche. So here's one from Joyce, uh, third grade. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother. What I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> here's Peter, uh, also third grade. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. <laughs> right? So those are prayers that are sort of, you know, childlike and innocent. There are prayers that are actually quite funny. One of my favorite ones is the prayer that a young St. Augustine, who's of course one of the towering pillars of, of uh, theology in the church, probably created a lot of what Western Christianity is. And when he was young and becoming a cleric, uh, and there was a lot of discussion about chastity for the clergy, he famously prayed, Lord, make me celibate, but not yet. <laughs> Those are funny prayers. There are prayers, moving more seriously, there are prayers which sound to the rest of the world, the not church-going, not religious world, like an excuse, like a cop-out, right? I'm always reminded when I hear people who maybe don't go to a church or aren't religious, that they think that sometimes prayer is an excuse for not getting off our duffs and doing something about a problem, right? And we certainly know that in the past few years, every time there's been one of these dreadful mass shootings, it's almost become a sad uh, byword and a joke when people say they offer thoughts and prayers, right? Now, I don't doubt that the people who say that very often mean exactly that, and that's a good thing to offer. But we know what people are saying. It can become an excuse not to do something. And then I, I think actually, as a religious person myself, that's a criticism worth hearing, criticism worth knowing, right? Am I, am I using prayer as a cop-out to not have to do things that need to be attended to? And then lastly, there are prayers of complete resignation. And that was the prayer that Charles of Orléans was offering there in that anthem that you just heard. Um, he was, as I said, writing in the early 1400s. It was a time of desperation in Europe, uh, it, beyond horror, what was going on between various religions, Protestants and Catholics. Charles was in a battle. Um, he was found finally after days after the battle was over, buried under something like 30 corpses. He was taken into custody, and he never really left custody. He wrote those words, and what's significant about them, and I think it's a kind of a prayer 
that probably all of us have uttered at some point in our lives. Notice in those words that we just sang, he didn't pray for which side in the war to win. He just wanted the struggle to be over. And all of us have prayed that kind of prayer too. That's a prayer where, unlike all other prayers, you're not trying to manipulate external conditions. You're just wanting to just tap out. Just say, I can't, I can't struggle anymore. So I think that this psalm, and actually all of the psalms, address all those kinds of prayers. But this one pulls us in and brings us to a new definition of what prayer might be. And prayer is just another way of saying how I confront, how you confront the living God face to face. Nothing in between the two of you. That's another way of talking about prayer. So let's look through it. I'm going to go old-fashioned sort of church style where we go through it a little section by section and sort of talk about a few things. So I think that this psalm gets the award for me of being the only prayer I know that starts out angry. (laughs) It's clear that there's been some praying happening and there haven't been answers, right? So the psalm starts with, answer me. I don't know any other psalm that starts that way. Answer me. Kind of angry. Answer me when I call, O God. You're supposed to be the defender of my cause. You set me free when I'm hard-pressed. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Yeah, I was was thinking about this yesterday. Not to anthropomorphize God too much, but stop and think a little bit. Here's this, as, as believing people... Here's this amazing world we live in with the the glories of nature and the beauties of of music and people who care for you and food and all the wonders of, of, of life and all the things we could thank God for. And when we come into his presence, nine times out of 10, we got a list of complaints, right? That's the first thing out of our mouths. Well, I got this, I got my laundry list, I want you to do this, I want you to do the other thing, I don't like that. And this is exactly that kind of thing. You know, don't you all have, we all have a friend like that, right? You never really hear from them until they need something from you. And then they show up in your life and you're like, okay, I'll help. I'll do what I need to do and help make it better. But it's a weird kind of friendship because it's not really about you. It's really about them. And so, and God's up to the job, but I sometimes think, what a bummer for God that every time I come to God, I'm like, never mind the beauties of my life. I'm really wanting to complain about X, Y, and Z and all the other, right? So that's a thing to think about too. Anyway, that's the opening accusation that's in this psalm, this prayer. And then God replies totally in a different direction. You'd think God could have said those things you pray for, not going to happen. Or you think God could say, coming right up. Or you think God could say, I wouldn't pray for that. Any kind of thing, but he doesn't. Instead, the response is, you mortals, how long will you dishonor my glory? How long will you worship dumb idols and run after false gods? Which is a strange kind of answer. And you may think, you know, when I've been praying for something or you've been praying something for a while, whether it's health or whether it's for a job situation to change or a relationship to change. This is not exactly an answer that you want, right? How long will you dishonor me and run after false gods? Because God wants you to have those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting those good things in your life. So what's with the answer here? And I'm not sure, but I think part of the answer is that God is implying to me as I read it 
that a lot of my thinkifying and list making and all the other stuff is beginning to somehow verge into being running after idols, is beginning to be worshiping false gods. And it's as though God is saying, come, come closer, come inward, come away from all the lists and the thoughts and the narratives that I have about what my life is supposed to be and what we think life should have been and all the other. And if you really want to pray, I'm going to ask you to come more interior than that. And so then the psalmist, the writer of the psalm, says, know that the Lord, almost like I know that the Lord does wonders for the faithful. When I call upon the Lord, he will hear me. To which then God replies, tremble then and do not sin and speak to your heart in silence upon your bed. And I think that's the hinge. That's a hinge upon which the psalm turns. And I think it's also, at least I'll speak for me, a lesson that God is trying deeply to teach us, to teach me. Which is, you need to let go of that. You need to come inside. You need to find a way to step apart from the lists and the demands and the norms and the you shoulds. And instead, speak to your heart in silence on your bed. And the key there is the word faithful. Because it takes a lot of faith to let go. Life is so complicated for all of us these days, so complicated. The idea that in faith we should be able to let go of some of all of that and to just encounter God naked on your bed with your heart naked. That's the key to doing that. Somebody once said, everything I've ever let go of in life has had claw marks on it. <laughs> That's my life. I don't let go of things easily, right? Everything I let go of has claw marks. I understand. But in that faith, I think God is saying, speak to your heart in silence on your bed. Now, if you've ever tried to do that, you know it's easier said than done. Bless you. And we actually have a group of humans who come to this room. In the summertime, it's uh, Wednesday at 1.30. And intrepid souls that they are, they all try to do exactly that. It's our little meditation group. And it's nothing fancy. It's nothing more fancy than this. We may not lie down in our bed. Some of us lie down for our back. But we listen and we let go. We listen to nothing, the building breathe. And we let go for a time in a safe space. That's what sanctuary means. We let go of the lists and the to-dos and the laundry lists and the worries and the narratives and the tales that my brain spins about what life should be and will be and what if I don't do this and the other thing. And you don't do it once for all. All of you know this. I know many of you have a spiritual practice, and this is not news to you. You do it once, you put your attention back on the thing. And just like a marble on a flat-top table, it rolls, meanders, and you pick it up, and you put it back. And it rolls and meanders, and you pick it up, and you put it back. And you don't get upset, and you don't look for some great reward. 
There's no reward, except there is a reward, which is that you're here right where God lives. I don't know about you, but God doesn't live out there in those clouds of my fears. God doesn't live out there in all the things that I wish had been different and all of that. The living God is only here. It's the only place God has ever lived. It's also the only place you've ever lived. It's just that, like me, we spend our lives with our brains out there chasing around things. So that's what we do when we come here. We bring our attention back, and we do it again. And we do it again. And part of what we're doing is just building up the muscle memory of what it's like to come back. Because we don't want to miss our lives. And we don't want to miss what God might be saying to us in our lives. You know, uh, the philosopher Plato, some of you know this, um, he came up with an, a famous allegory, the uh, allegory of the cave. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah, Plato's the cave. So Plato likened, this is of course before Jesus, right? This is way long ago. He likened human existence and human consciousness to a cave where prisoners were all lashed and they were staring at a wall and behind them was the opening of the cave with daylight flooding through. And they would see shadows of what was actually real in the real world. But because they were imprisoned, they would only stare at the wall. And they spent their entire lives thinking that's reality. And inventing all kinds of scenarios and narratives about that reality on the wall, when of course, reality is really behind them. And we all know people who can spend all their life that way. And I've spent a whole lot of my life that way. So the idea of what we're doing when we speak to our heart in silence on the bed is come back to this moment here. There's an old spiritual, my soul's been anchored, anchored in the Lord. My soul's been anchored, anchored in the Lord. And part of what we do is we find an anchor in that practice. And there are several you can use. You can use your breath. It's always there with you. You can use a mantra. There's an ancient, ancient uh, tradition of Christian mantras. That's a phrase that you repeat. Nothing fancy about it. It's just bringing you back here. Here where the world is unfolding. Here where the people that you love are actually needing you. Here where you can do all the good that you can do. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm spinning off in my things, I'm no damn good to anybody. I'm just spinning off and doing my thing. So we look for that anchor. I threw my shoulder out two weeks ago, and I'm reminded that even, even pain can be an anchor, right? Even pain, even discomfort can be a companion. Not a companion I like, not one I want to stay, but a companion because it also, bless you, brings me back here, here and now. So once we do that, once we get that practice going, what are we supposed to do? Sit on a mountaintop and meditate forever and kind of chill, and that's nice, right? There goes the world. And the psalm takes care of that too. Because it's as though God is saying, I get it. Once you've anchored, and once you've made a practice of anchoring, then back you go. 
Back you go to your life. He says, offer the appointed sacrifices, right? Do, do the things you're supposed to do. Go to church, pay your taxes, do all that stuff. Show up for graduations. Offer the appointed sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Many in the world are saying, oh, that we might see better times. Have you heard that lately from the world? Oh, that we might see better times. And you get it, I get it, we get it. But you're anchored. You're anchored because you've developed time and a practice to speak to your heart in silence on your bed. And just return past all the things your brain says to you, past all the tales, past all the narratives in my head. Return to just this moment with God. And when you do that, it's not as though God doesn't care about everyday concerns. In fact, I love the ending of this psalm because it could have just ended there. He says, or rather the psalmist says, you've put gladness in my heart more than when grain and wine and oil increase. That's the good stuff of life. But even more than that, God has put that gladness in there because you're rooted and you're anchored. And if you get rootless, that happens in life. You come back to your practice. You come back to re-anchoring. And you bring it out to a world which desperately needs it. Always remember what St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. We model forward for the world the healing that we feel and we model forward for the world the healing that it desperately needs. And trust me, when you're anchored like that, even a little bit, none of us is perfect, when you're anchored like that, you're the strongest person in the world strongest person in the room, and, and, and the goodness of God shows up in your face, and you're able to communicate it to that world that very much needs it. And then the psalm ends, I lie down in peace. At once I fall asleep, for only you, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Not the safety that you might have thought, not the safety that the world is always going on about. That's all fine too. But as Jesus said somewhere else, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because that heart is one that you're speaking to in silence every day. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you indeed for the silence in this room. Thank you for all of us here, breathing, knowing each other's presence. All of us here carry burdens, experience joys, worry about disappointments, fears, failures. Look for the bright hope that's at the center of our faith. All of us here are doing all of that at this moment. And behind it all, you are there beckoning us to let it go sometimes, to take it off like an old garment, and to feel your presence right here and now, breath by breath, 
to see it in the eyes of another, to bring that grace and that mercy to one another and to this world that needs it. Bless us, God, and help us to be your missionaries in this world. We ask it in your name. Amen.